we are um, continue. You know, as I was working on this, if you know me, um, you'll know I'm talking to myself here. Um, distractions abound. They're everywhere. I tell people a lot of times I'm my own biggest distraction, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, but, but just think of one area, just one area of, of your routine. Uh, think about driving a car. You get into your car, and uh, the most most often you turn on some kind of device, you know, either for music or um, some people listen to books uh, while they, you know, while they're driving. Um, some people listen to those uh, talk shows that are that are on while they're driving, and um, you know um, we see this as normal, and we don't see it as a distraction from driving. Even if we're playing the dashboard drums, you know, as as we go along, we don't see any of this as a distraction from driving. Um, you know, but think about this: you're heading down the road every single day, no matter where you drive on a, on a highway, no matter what road you're on. As you're driving down the road, every road sign, every billboard, every sign on a building is specifically designed to get your attention while you're driving. It is it is very specifically designed to draw your attention to that sign while you know while you're driving now add your cell phone to the mix and you know your cell phone is you know, actually uh, just a little computer and uh, you know it does all all sorts of things for you um, you know you can take and send messages you can read and send emails you can take pictures even while you're driving and i know people do that cuz i i see them and um, and i've been guilty of some of that i've never done email while I was driving. Um, I have a brother-in-law who read a book on his way home from Florida while he was driving alone. Yeah, uh, you know, but it's, uh, add to that that some people put on their makeup while they're driving. I wasn't going to say women, but, un- you know, it's, it's, well, generally it's, generally it's women. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was at, uh, Light on, on 30 coming in uh, one day uh, by Sweetwater, and I just happened to glance over because the lady next to me is leaning by her mirror doing. And at first I thought maybe she had something in her eye, and then I noticed it was that brush in her doing the. Uh, I assume it's mascara thing. Is that what you put on your eyelashes? Yeah, um, you know. And and but, but you know. Yeah, and now add to that, you know, that some people eat a meal while driving. I never understood this. You know, growing up in Chicago, there's, you have the Indiana, or excuse me, the uh, Tri-State Tollway, uh, 294, goes around Chicago. They have the restaurants across the top, uh, that, you know, in, in Illinois, we call them the Oasis. I don't know why they call them anywhere else. Then they added, when they kicked out uh, Howard Johnson or whoever took care of the cafeteria-style meals, and they brought in fast food places, that also have... Now, think about this. This is a toll road. This is a limited-access highway. They have drive throughs I'm thinking... I see people merging, coming down off the oasis. Now, this was... They, they put these in at the same time that, the, that there was news on about this lady suing McDonald's because she spilled the hot coffee in her lap. And I'm thinking to myself, here's coming a car merging with me. 
Did they just get out of the drive-through line at Wendy's and trying to balance their their coffee, you know, and their and their hammer and all this stuff, you know? But but uh, just it's just one of my thoughts there. Um, I told you my own business distraction, uh, you know. But but um, and many people, you know, they just have a nice refreshing beverage while they're while they're driving. Um, some people now. I've listed some of these things, and some of you don't consider them distractions at all. But let me ask you something. If your brain surgeon was operating on you and decided to do any one of these things, how comfortable would you be with that? Uh, we wouldn't be real comfortable with it. Yeah, you know, I... I uh, I guess I could say now I used to have a neurosurgeon, you know, when they found those tumors. A neurosurgeon is one of the guys that was, uh, you know, that became my doctors. And I had heard a lot about him, all good things that I heard about him. And one of the things that they had uh, mentioned was that in the operating room, he doesn't allow even a radio to be on. He allows no music in that operating room or anything no idle discussion, no chit-chat about any other thing except the surgery and what's going on. And I thought, dude, that's the guy I want. You know, there's, there's the guy. There's the guy I want, you know, in there. And somebody's gonna, gonna be, not gonna be distracted by anything, you know, that's going on. Uh, you know, so when we look at these things, um, now this message is not on safe driving, but please feel free to apply any of this stuff to your driving and be a safer driver. Uh, that's just a bonus for you. Uh, you know, but today what we're going to look at are some of the ways that we can deal with distractions as we go through living each day for God. Because as we're going through living each day for God, distractions abound. Let's pray. We're going to get into our passage for today. Father, thank you for your word to us, your truth, the way in which you work in lives and in hearts. I thank you for the God that you are. And when I think of how my mind wanders sometimes, and you graciously, patiently put up with me. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word now, as we as we have this opportunity and this privilege, really, uh, to open your word that you would teach us, help us to be open to you, help us to um, be very receptive and responsive to you. So use your word to continue that transformation in us that we would indeed be more and more your people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 35. If you'd turn there, if you... Um, I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard. That's the Pew Bible. So if you want to turn there, it's page 31 on that or whatever it is that you have, uh, you know, your little handheld computer or or paper and, and ink, you know, just uh, turn there. Genesis 35. I'm only planning one more. My plan is only one more sermon in this series before we hit the pause button. And I'll probably pick it up again sometime next year is my plan. But there was this eight-year pause. Uh, chapter 35, uh, this is the last chapter that features Jacob as the, as the main focus of God's working and who God is working through. This is, now he does come up again in later chapters, you know, and he's mentioned again, uh, in, in chapters that, that come later. But this is the last main chapter there. Uh, chapter 36, which, um, you know, the, the one I'm planning on ending, and that traces out Esau's lineage, and I have absolutely no idea what that message is going to look like. Um, 
Chapter 37 then uh, turns to focusing on Jacob's son, Joseph, uh, you know, as God works his promise out through Joseph's life. And the plan right now is that we're going to pick up on chapter 37 sometime next year. Um, but don't let any of that distract you. Chapter 35, we're going to read this in four smaller sections today as we look at faith and distractions. I noticed four big distractions as I went through this, four big areas of distraction that we face as we go through life. I'm going to point them out as we go along with a few other observations. Uh, now, what I want you to understand, you know, the distractions we're looking at today, they're not all bad. Distractions are simply facts of living. If you're alive, you will be distracted. You will have distractions. They come. It's just a fact of living. What I hope to do is to help us be aware of them and by that then help us to handle them a little bit better instead of them handling us because too often the distractions handle us instead of us handling them. And I'm hoping that we can change this around just a little bit. There's a big difference between us handling them or them handling us. Verse 1. Genesis 35, verse 1, says, God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God, to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to God who answered me in the day of distress. He has been with me. Everywhere that I have gone. Uh, then they gave Jacob all their foreign gods and their earrings. Earrings. See, there you go. Sacrifice to the goddess of beauty. Just a thought for you. Anyway, uh, and all their earrings and Jacob hid them under the oak tree near Shechem. When they set out, a terror from God came over the cities around them and they did not pursue Jacob's sons. Just so you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only pulling a chain about the earrings. So on with the verse six. Uh, so Jacob and all who were with it, Except it says earrings here. Jacob and all who were with him um, came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and called the place the God of Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now, I was reading that and here's the first, the first distraction to be aware of and that's location. Location, the place that we are. The place we are can very much be a distraction for us. Jacob here, he had left Laban's home. He returned to face his brother Esau, you know, after fleeing from him 20 years earlier. And then after reconciling with Esau, Jacob didn't go and settle with his brother in Seir, if you recall. He went, he's traveled the opposite direction to a town called Succoth where he built a house and it says facilities for his livestock. So he settled in there for a while. Well, then we're told after, after a bit, then he traveled to Shechem and he purchased land there and he settled in. Now, it was at Shechem that his daughter Dinah was raped. That's what we looked at last week in last week's message. Uh, these locations, though, and all of these locations, they were only a distraction from what God had wanted him to be doing. Now God calls Jacob to go to, go to Bethel, back to Bethel, the house of God. Over 20 years earlier, Jacob had run from his brother Esau, run for, ran for his life from his brother Esau, you know, and he had an encounter here with God. He had a dream of a stairway, some refer to it as a ladder, Jacob's ladder, that stretched from, from earth to heaven. And it says, and the angels were ascending and descending 
on, on this stairway that open, that open, if you will, communication, that open relationship with God pictured there, that interactive relationship with God pictured there. And at that time, Jacob did not yet have a relationship with God. In fact, if you recall, he referred to, Jacob referred to God then as God of my fathers or something similar to that. He didn't refer, he, he didn't have any personal connection with him at that point. He knew about him, but he didn't know God. And, and God used that dream to get Jacob's attention. In fact, this is part of what it tells us there. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head, set up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. The stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that you gave me. Now, notice what he says here. If you will be with me and watch over me on this journey. Check. That was done. In fact, he, that, that's one of the phrases we just read. That God had been with me on, on all this journey, he says. He said then here, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear. Check. That was done. I was taken care of. If I return safely to my father's house, again, check, you know, it's done. Then the Lord will be my God. He was distracted. He was distracted. You know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't getting to that place. He was you know, he, he, he wasn't getting there. And he says that, you know, and then I will give you a tenth of all that you gave me. And again, it wasn't there. All that is, all that is with that that giving of a tenth, what he's saying here is I, you know, you will be my God and I will begin to live in line with this relationship that I will claim to have with you. That's all the offering is. It's us, it's us living in line with the relationship that we say we have with God. And so here now God calls him away from those locations that distracted him. These other locations were a distraction to him. They were, they were distracting him from following God. And God brings Jacob back to the location that would remind him about this vow right here with God. But Jacob was reminded of the commitment he made even before he went back to Bethel. All he had to do was hear about it. Notice there, you know, all he had to do, all, all God had to do was get his attention, was get his attention off of the distraction of his current location. Because notice, as soon as he hears, as soon as he hears about Bethel again, he's reminded how distracted he had been. It draws his attention to that. Notice what he tells his entire household. Get rid of all the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. Get rid of all of this. All he has to do is hear about Going back to where he remembers, I encountered God. I made a promise to him there. We have not been following that promise. So get rid of all of those foreign gods that are among you. Get rid of all of this stuff. 
an important step in our relationship with God is to get rid of whatever gets the allegiance from you that only God should have. Whatever it is, if you recall when they were leaving, when they were leaving Laban's home, and Rachel did what? She stole the household gods. Now he's saying, get rid of this stuff, whatever it is. This is what an idol is. An idol is simply something that, that is getting the allegiance from you that only God deserves. Whatever that might be. And he's saying here, you know, we need to get rid, whatever is distracting you from following God needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with. Some of it could be just like it is here, getting rid of it. That's sometimes what we need to do. We need to get rid of it. We, we need to separate ourselves from it. And it might be simply, it might be something just as simple as putting it back in its place. Whatever it is that's getting the allegiance that only God deserves in our life, we need to deal with. We need to handle it instead of letting it handle us. We need to make sure that we do that. As Jacob led his family back to Bethel here, they, you know, and into a relationship with God, at least the possibility of one, you see, for his family. For Jacob, he was reminded, as soon as he heard about it, he, you know, he was reminded. And we're told here that God was, that God watched over them. Look at verse five. It says, when they set out, a terror from God came over the cities around them, and they did not pursue Jacob's son. Well, you see, God protects us as we follow him. He protects us as we follow him. Now, Jacob's family was large. I mean, it was a big family. He had 12 sons, you know, and he had at least one daughter. He, you know, he had a large family. He had a lot of possessions. So he had, he had servants. They, you know, he had a lot of possessions and stuff, but his family was still small enough to be wiped out by an army. Because you recall, you know, their response to, to Dinah's uh, rape, you know, Simeon and Levi went in and, you know, and, and murdered everybody in the town and stuff. And, and what was Jacob's response? You know, this is a paraphrase. So I'll use the word dude for you. You know, this is a paraphrase. He said, you know, hey, 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 you dudes, you know, what, what are you doing? You're going to, all the, the towns around, the and the parasites, they're going to come and they're going to, the Canaanites, they're going to come and they're going to kill us. Because you see, he knew here, that they could still be wiped out. God was protecting them. Now, God's protection, and you need to understand this, God's protection does not mean that tough and sometimes even tragic circumstances won't come into our lives. Those still come into our lives. His protection does not mean that we will not have tough circumstances, it, even tragic circumstances. You're going to see some of those here in a little while that are going to unfold in his life. You know, and I think most often God's protection goes unnoticed by us. We don't even realize it. You know, we don't even realize it. The fact that the armies didn't attack him, you know, how much do you notice that I wasn't attacked? You know, but it's still there. God's protection is still there. Let's move on to the next section, verse 9. 
It says, God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai, I love that. God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations will come from you and kings will descend from you. I will give you, I will give to you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac and I will give the land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at a place where he had spoken to him. Jacob set up a marker at that place where he had spoken to him, a stone marker. He poured a drink offering on it and anointed it with oil. Jacob named a place where God had spoken with him. Bethel. You say, well, you know, I thought all of this went on before. You see, what he's doing is he's renewing, he's remembering, he's renewing. He's once again, he is now making this commitment where God is going to be his God. Well, here's the thing I noticed as I was reading through this. Longing can be a distraction. Longing, the promise that we anticipate. That can be a distraction here. God reminds Jacob. He reminds Jacob of his new name, Israel. He, he, you know, that new name, it rep, that new name represents a new calling. You see that he was not one that was favored, he, you know, that he was favored with God, that he wrestled with God, that he prevailed with God. And it gives him a new purpose in life. When we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a new name, Christian. One, one who is identified with Christ. That is, that is where this started. You know, that they were first called Christians, little Christs, that they were, they were identified with Him, a follower of Jesus. We have a new calling. The new calling is to live for God, not for ourselves, and we have a new purpose in life. The new purpose in life is to glorify God, you know, to live for His glory, not to build up our own popularity. Now, Jacob will be called Jacob and Israel. Those names will interchange back and forth as you read through the rest of Genesis. You know, sometimes he'll be called, referred to as Jacob, sometimes Israel. You know, but God reminds him here of the promise to become a great nation, the promise of a land that was promised all the way back to Abraham. And Jacob is fulfilling the promise that he had made to God. Over 20 years ago when he, when he left and now he's back again and he is fulfilling that and now he's reminded again that he would receive this land. This was almost 200 years since the promise was first given to Abraham in Genesis 12. Genesis chapter 12, it says, you know, God is calling Abraham. He says, go out from your land, from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And here is Jacob, 200 years after this promise was given, you know, to Abraham and this covenant is still intact. This promise is still there despite the failings of those, uh, of, of those people that God had called, those people who are called covenant people of God, you know, God's people. Despite those failings, God's promise was still intact. But Jacob here still only has a small plot of ground that he purchased in this land that was promised to be given to him. See, waiting for answers, waiting for what we want, waiting for what we think we need, waiting for what we think we deserve is not easy. It's a distraction. 
waiting for the pieces to come together can be a distraction. You see, we can be distracted by the longing for the things we anticipate. And then what happens is we miss the blessings that God has us in the midst of. We miss those blessings he has us right there. Those things, you know, those things we don't have yet, but we really want, they can distract us from all that we do have, from all that God has provided for us right now, and from the direction he wants us to go, from the things he wants us to do, from the way he wants us to live as his people. Now, you may notice I skipped over verse 8. That's that's part of the next section, actually. Uh, look at verse 8 there. Uh, you know, it says, Deborah, the one who had nursed and raised Rebekah, died and was buried under the oak south of Bethel. So Jacob named it Oak of Weeping. Now, drop down to verse 16. It says, Then they set out from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth, and her labor was difficult. During her difficult labor, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid, for you have another son. With her last breath, for she was dying, she named him Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a marker on her grave, and it is a marker on Rachel's grave to this day, to the day that this was written here. This is some of those tough things even tragic from our viewpoint. As looking at this, I was reminded that loss, you know, the people we lose, when it happens, is a distraction. Now, it seems a bit unfeeling. It seems a bit unfeeling to call the death of someone a distraction. But what I mean here is when we lose someone through death or through their walking away, you know, through the need to separate, that that loss dominates our thinking. It dominates our thinking. You know, that that loss is what directs our living through each day. We even become a bit numb. And in our loss, we may begin to think, that God's been unfair. You see, what it does is it distracts us from being sensitive to God and his leading in our everyday living because we are overwhelmed by this loss. The loss consumes our attention. Now, I am not saying that it is wrong or a sin to grieve. It is natural to grieve. That is is the way God made us. Grieving is natural. I am saying to be aware. Be aware during that time that you are not as attentive to or even aware of God's leading while you're dealing with loss. When you're dealing with loss, whatever it might be, of a loved one, of, of, a, of a... I just reading about somebody, they, you know, they... Uh, uh, the newspaper laid off six of their seven employees and they interviewed one of them and one guy said, <laughs> this is a paraphrase, he says, I'm old. I got kids in college. Yeah. Do you suppose that's consuming his attention right now, the loss of that job? Uh, yeah, it is. When you're going through that, 
when you're going through a big, that is not the time to be making major decisions. You only make the ones you need to make to get through the day. It's not the time to be making those major long-term decisions. Instead, you let God comfort you and heal you. You take the time you need for God to heal you, and you let him take you through that adjustment. The journey of following God does not exempt us from heartache and difficulties. It does not exempt us from that. Following God, you will still have heartache. Following God, you will still have difficulties. There's actually three deaths mentioned in this chapter that Jacob has to heal from while he is following God. Deborah, the one we looked at here, Rebecca's nurse in verse 8, there was a close relationship there. And then his wife, Rachel, in verse 19, what we just looked at. And, and in verse 29, you're going to see his father, Isaac, dies. He has these three deaths. And while while all of these losses would be hard, the loss of a spouse, I think, is the toughest. It has the deepest impact. It affects every area of your living. The pain lasts. And this again, you know, remember, we're not talking just about death. We're talking about any the separation that comes. Divorce is never easy. Why? Because it's painful. At one time or another, it's, it, there was this ripping and tearing apart. And, and, and it's painful. Rachel dies while giving birth to their final son, Benjamin. Brings a whole new impact to some of her earlier words. If you remember in chapter 30, the first verse, when they're having this competition to see who's going to produce the most offspring, it says, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she envied her sister and she said, give me sons or I will die, she said to Jacob. A little bit later than she had her first son, she had Joseph, and she said she named him Joseph. Why? Because she said, you know, may the Lord add another son to me. You know, Joseph longing, and may he add another son to me. And as, as she dies here, Rachel names this son Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. Some of your Bibles have a footnote that tells you about that. It would be very tempting to leave that name in place. I mean, it would be very tempting because it was given by his mother, whom Jacob loved. You'll recall, she was the one that got his attention, that he worked for for the seven years. And it says it just seemed like a day because of his love for her. And it would be very tempting, you see, because that was her dying wish. This was the last thing she said to them. But Jacob was not distracted by his loss. He changed his son's name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. Names meant a lot more to them than they do to us. We name a kid a name because we like it. Yeah, I, 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 didn't, didn't Mary, Mary, didn't you say you found a name on Pinterest? Yeah, see, because we like it. And that's why we come up with a name. Why? We like it. That's American. That's American. We like the name. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, but it meant something to them. Benjamin, son of my right hand. It signified the place of honor this new son now occupied, particularly since his mother died giving birth to him. Realize how much loss will consume you. Realize that. No matter what kind of loss it is, realize it will consume you. Here it's death. 
It could be death of a dream. Loss of a job. Separation between... We were talking with uh, Mandy yesterday and she was telling us her conversation with someone, a friend of ours, and their daughter um, just broke off her engagement. It's a loss, you see. Realize how much this loss will consume you. Make sure you pay closer attention to God and God's calling in your life through that loss. Let's look at the final section, verse 21. Israel sent out again and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard about it. Jacob had 12 sons. Leah's sons were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, important position. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Did you notice the first three sons messed up big time? Verse 24, Rachel's sons were Joseph and Benjamin. I just like that. Uh, 25, the sons of Rachel's slave Bilhah were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's slave Zilpah were Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre in, in Kareth Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his son Esau, sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So the final area we need to be aware of, you know, of being distracted from following, you know, from following God is the area of love. Love, the preferences that we embrace. Now, families are meant to be close. I realize some are not, but God established families for the good of individuals and the good of nations. And the fact that some families are messed up does not change God's intended purpose for families. Let's deal with Reuben's foolish choice first. My initial reaction to verse 22, it says he went in and slept with Bilhah. What was he thinking? I mean, that's my initial reaction. I read that and I think, what is wrong with you, buddy? I mean, what, you know, what brain cell were you operating from? This just, this is a blatant and foolish move. What we don't see is, you see, this was the way then that they would establish as the first son that he would establish his authority after his father had died. Thing is here, his father was still alive. And he is trying to do this. What Reuben was attempting to grab here he actually ended up losing. Now, here again, as we read this, it seems that Jacob, Israel, you know, it seems that he does nothing when this sin occurs. Now, you can lash out in your anger. We saw last week how foolish that is. You can lash out in your anger, you know, or you can follow God in his direction, which is what it seems Israel did. In chapter 49, which may, we, we may get to in two or three years, uh, Reuben, this is what it says, you know, as Jacob is, as Israel is dying and he's giving the blessing to his 12 sons, he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. Good start. Good spot. My strength. Just, just, see, this is the picture of the firstborn. My strength and the first fruits of my virility. Excelling in prominence. Excelling in power. Turbulent as water, you will no longer excel because you got into your father's bed and you defiled it. He got into my bed. 
And we'll get into that passage a little bit more, you know, in our next installment or two from Genesis. But Reuben's problem was not just his act of sin. There was a character issue here. There was a character issue. You can forgive the act, and perhaps, you know, Jacob did. Perhaps Israel, you know, forgave the act. But if the underlying character issue is not dealt with, the real problem remains. You know, Jacob didn't let his love for his firstborn. He did not let his love for his firstborn, which is expressed very clearly in verse 3. He did not let that love for his firstborn distract him from the necessity of dealing with that character issue. Now, we're told here that, that Isaac, that, that he, Isaac lived 180 years. Um, <laughs> 70 years earlier, his family didn't think that he was long for this world. If you remember chapter 27, um, it says Esau held a grudge. And for some reason, this isn't working, Tony. Give me verse, uh, Genesis 27, 41 there. He said, uh, you know, Esau held a grudge, there it is, and against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. <laughs> and, and then I will kill my brother. Now, it seems even Isaac didn't feel, you know, that he was long for this world. Uh, he, Isaac said, you know, earlier, as he's sending Esau out to, to do the hunting, he says, look, I'm old. I don't know how many days, you know, until my death. Take your hunting gear, your quiver and bow. Go out to the field. Hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me and eat so that I can bless you before I die. Now, the reality when he said that was, that he had 38% of his life yet ahead of him when he said this. You know, he had, he had all, all of these years. You know, apparently he didn't look too good for those last 70 years, I'm guessing. I don't know. You know but we can be distracted by love. Our love for others and our love for life. I love my life. God has given me. You know, I, I, you know, I am a happy man. You can tell because I always smile. I'm a happy man. You know, uh, I, I, I am. I, I, you know, the lines have truly fallen for me in pleasant places, as it says in Scripture. There's no question about it. I'm ready to die. I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm ready. You know, I, you know, I, I am ready. You know, but I really enjoy living. I enjoy the life I have. What I need to be careful of is that I am not distracted by life and miss following God. You see, we can get so caught up in this life and in this living thing. You know, so one of the phrases that I'm tired of hearing from my doctors and other people is, well, at your age. You didn't tell me that when I was 30. Well, at your age. (laughs) You know, and, and... so people have been asking me, you know, when you when when are you going to retire? You know, well, you're old. <laughs> well, you're old. When are you going to when are you going to retire? Uh, yeah, it's one of the questions they ask me. You know, here's here's what I'm still wrestling with myself. It doesn't have anything to do with Social Security when they tell me. It doesn't have anything to do with you know really even. My desire to want to step aside and, you know, horse around and just do woodworking, you know, it's, it has to do with what is God calling me to do? When does God say that I'm done here and need to step aside? Well, I've had conversations with the board. And one of the things I've told the board, you know, is, look, you get, you, you know, you people really need to pay attention here. And if I'm in the way, tell me, please tell me. 
care enough about me and about this church to tell me, you know, that I'm in the way and I'll, I'll step aside. But you see, it's got to be God's leading to tell me to step aside. Not when I can get a social security check. That's society, that social security check. You know, it says we can be so distracted by life. I would love, I would love to have, you know, more time to work in my wood shop and stuff. You know, sit there and watch the grass grow. I kind of find that nice. I know some of you don't. But, you know, when I'm on vacation, sit on that balcony, watch the grass grow, watch the world go by. I can live with that. You know, that's, that's, I wouldn't do that all the time, but I'd be doing it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the, we, we can't get distracted by life and miss following God. So here we are in chapter 35. This is some 70 years later before Isaac finally passes on, you know, another 70 years he had to follow God. Not given a lot of details about this, but we do have verse 29, which I think is really great. Verse 29, it says, he took his last breath and died. He was gathered to his people old and full of days. His son Esau and Jacob buried him. What a great description, full of days. You know, we, we talk about people, boy, they get, they get the most out of every day. Boy, they really, you know, they get the most out. Old and full of days. It seems he used those final 70 years well. No longer distracted by love as he was before when he tried to thwart God's plan of, of raising, you know, of, 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 uh, raising Jacob up before Esau. You know, and when he, when he was distracted, God said, you know, that, that the Jacob, that the older Esau would serve the younger and, uh, and Israel wanted Esau to be up there. You know, and he wasn't distracted by that anymore. He now had a relationship with both sons. And after Isaac passes, both sons buried him. You know, they had settled their differences as well. Here's what I see in this chapter about God's people. God's people deal with distractions, but still follow God. Deal with distractions. You know, don't follow the distractions. Know that distractions will come. Know that those distractions will come. Don't follow the distractions Follow God. Know they're going to be there. Deal with them. And as you deal with them, follow God. 